This is an AMI podcast. Hi there, I'm Jenny. Except when I'm out running or on the goalball court, then you can just call me White Lightning. This is Low Vision Moments, the podcast all about those sometimes frustrating, potentially awkward, but often pretty comical things that happen when you are just trying to go about your day living with a visual impairment, blindness, or albinism. If you've listened to the podcast before, you may know the cause of my visual impairment is oculocutaneous albinism. Say it with me now oculocutaneous albinism. It's a rare genetic condition that impedes the production of melanin and, in turn, the development and functionality of the eyeballs. I really shouldn't say the eyeballs because it's much more than just the balls that are affected. It's really, it's the whole system. And when I say it's rare, I am not playing around, guys. Even when compared to other inherited eye conditions considered to be rare, such as retinitis pigmentosa, which occurs in about 1 in 5,000 people, only 1 in 20,000 people are born with albinism. We are scarce, like rubies or emeralds, and arguably just as sought after. Unless you're fortunate enough to have family who share the condition, the fact that albinism is so rare can make you feel isolated, and it can be super difficult to find people with whom you can just relate and normalize your experiences. That's gotten easier thanks to the wild world of the internet, including social media groups and virtual events. Having been born in the 80s, I do remember a time when it was next to impossible to make those meaningful connections, but not anymore. We have a total gem of a guest today, an incredibly talented vocalist and musician, a fellow Canadian woman with albinism, who I might add has a killer sense of style as well. Chantal Barrett, thank you for stopping by Low Vision Moments. Thank you for having me, Jenny. Glad to be a guest. We found each other through, I think, the magic of a Facebook group for people with albinism. Do you remember it that way? Yes, and I actually, when you messaged me, I realized that we had had our first communication back in 2007, which is crazy. Shut up. I didn't realize it was that <laughs> long ago. You had posted something about uh, working on a documentary, um, and I had replied, and you had replied to me through Messenger. So. Oh my God. So I've been following you longer than I even thought. And we have another really important thing in common that I've learned over the years. We both enjoy a good craft beer. Oh, hell yeah. A giant cheers to us, a giant long distance cheers to us. What else should we know about you? Aside from the music, um, I am based in the Niagara region and I work here as a social worker. So I've worked for the past 15 years with uh, domestic violence and now with the disability community through our local um, or rather our provincial government. Yeah, and I am a lover of beer, as you've mentioned, a lover of food and of vintage fashion. Such a pleasure to be able to get to know you a little bit more, Chantal. I have a question for you right out of the gate. Has anyone ever said to you, it's so cool, you just kind of do your own thing, you don't care what other people think? Yes, 
um, and to that, I, I just feel like everyone should be living like that. So anyone that's not, I'm, you know, I'm sad to hear that, but I honestly just live the way that um, I want to. And, and you seem to be very similar with the multiple things you're involved in too. I love that perspective, but I have to be honest, like I've heard this a few times. Oh, you're so cool. You just, you don't care what people think. You just do your own thing. I've heard it a lot of times in, in my life and it used to make me a, a little bit paranoid. Not so much anymore. Like I really don't care too much uh, about what people who don't know me think of me, but I do like to participate in society. So I don't want to be a total outsider, I guess, if you will. I know, especially because I, I don't use a mobility cane or a guide dog that sometimes when I do things in my day-to-day -day out in public, really as a direct result of the low vision or albinism, when I do these things, I might appear strange or people may be confused or they might be worried just because I appear to be doing something a little bit differently. That used to really bother me. It doesn't anymore. That's really their problem. And my thought process is now is like, well, they can just calm down because I'm just blind. At 100% relate to that. Um, you know, and I'd like to say that I also am immune to, uh, to not worrying about what others think, but I think it's just human nature to want to kind of fit in. Even, but I do realize that a lot of the time when I am doing things and going about being independent, there are some really strange things that I do that um, without the explanation uh, or context, people might interpret in a different way. So. Yeah, it's all about the context. And so when I first took up running, I would run exclusively on a treadmill or if it was outdoors, I would run with a sighted guide following another person. Well, eight years later, I can't believe I've been running for eight years and talking way too much about it all along the way. Uh, I've learned lots of techniques, not to mention a hell of a lot of confidence that allow me to now do things that I previously didn't even ever consider. So like now I can run a full road race, including half marathons, totally independently. And a lot of preparation goes into that, of course. I don't just show up on race day like most other runners. Most sighted runners, I think, don't really know about the extra preparation, the memorizing the entire route, asking friends to drive the route with me ahead of time so we can point out where the really nasty potholes are, for example. The other runners, they just see me out there on race day pushing and sweating like a fucking beast and sometimes, yes, cursing and swearing my way up a hill, like just like everyone else for the most part. But when the race is over, I'll often ask my support crew, I call him, it's really just my lovely husband, I'll ask him for a sighted guide and I can feel the eyeballs on me and I can only imagine the thoughts going through their minds as he guides me perhaps to the free post-race bananas and chocolate milk or like down a big set of stairs out in the sunshine. You know, I can I can imagine them thinking, oh, she she pushed too hard in the race. She didn't pace herself or she didn't train enough. And now she's too damn spent to go down the set of stairs on her own. But that's not that's not what's going on. I mean, yes, it's true. After a half marathon, it can be a little painful to go down a set of stairs. But I'm holding on to that elbow or shoulder with the sighted guide because I have no depth perception 
and I do have extreme light sensitivity. And I've really learned the hard way. It's taken so long that sometimes I just have to ask for help navigating those crowds and unfamiliar places and and just really not give a damn about what everyone else is thinking because they don't have the context. So that's their problem. How are you at asking for assistance or directions in those kinds of situations? So I am absolutely comfortable for asking for assistance, but one of the curses um, I find of, of appearing in a way that uh, people don't relate to as disabled or um, needing the help is even when I do reach out for assistance or make known, um, sometimes that isn't interpreted in the same way that I am hoping it would be. So um, very timely kind of story. I recently went to have a COVID test. Um, so whenever I am dealing with anything where I'm asked to do something, I do like people to know, even if I, you know, because I don't know what help I might need. So I will identify that I, I am low vision. And, you know, that way that person is aware, so maybe they can make me aware of something I might need to know. Um, so in this circumstance, I did make the nurse aware that I, I had a visual impairment. Um, she registered it, I then directed me to take a pamphlet from a table, but neglected to tell me that there was a, a sheet of plexiglass that had no visual uh, markings whatsoever. So um, I full force punched the thing. It, the plexiglass. Uh, yep, I punched that sucker. It um did a wonderful. Uh, you could tell it was temporarily put up. Uh, it wobbled a lot. Uh, and then I noticed the security guard looking from the side, who looked like he was like, "There is some action I can get involved here." I, you know, I so I left that at the place immediately. Grabbed my pamphlet. Um, got the hell out of there because at that point I left being like, "Can't see." not angry just leaving did you announce so, that you're like can't see i'm going now. Yeah. don't worry i think i exactly said i i i'm sorry i'm visually impaired i didn't mean to do anything because meanwhile this thing's still wobbling in a, in a very fierce way um you know so i got out of there before anything else could ensue so this was a this was a nurse that directed you did i hear that right mm -hmm. Yeah, so somebody who would have gone through our accessibility training, but um, the interpretation just didn't realize that maybe the plexiglass I couldn't see. I I, I don't. Yeah, I, I think there's there's not a good understanding yet of of what low vision means or visually impaired means, even if we identify that we might need help. So did she did she gesture like over there or did she give you decent directions even? She did. She did gesture. And I think at that point I did correct her too, um, to say, I, I don't, I can't see where you're gesturing. Um, and then she said just on the table, but then still didn't register that the plexiglass was maybe something I wouldn't see. I can't tell you how much plexiglass has changed my life. Le legitimately during COVID, plexiglass is one of the reasons why I, I don't feel comfortable going many places on my own anymore, even places that I used to know really, really well. Um, that's, that's <laughs> no, and I'm laughing because I'm picturing you punching it and it wobbling <laughs> like crazy. <laughs> and then you just make your fast out. <laughs> it was definitely what I don't get embarrassed too often, but it, it was definitely one of those experiences where I'm like, yeah, I just almost took a plexiglass. And I don't think this is going to be the only time that um, in our strange new world, I think this will be maybe a common occurrence where this isn't going to be the first time that I assault plexiglass. 
<laughs> I think I'm developing like a sixth sense where I know I'm I'm moving around the the till like the cash register areas especially like very very slowly and and I don't know I and I I think I have like my you know I don't know if you do mosh pits but when you're in a mosh pit you kind of you have you have the elbows up a little bit I find myself kind of doing that so maybe the the elbow will hit the plexiglass before I do I've had so many close calls so your story actually um really kind of scares me I think it's a bit of a cautionary tale uh, and, and you know, as you said, I, I don't think it's going to be the first or last time that I do this during this because, you know, people are not aware of that. But at least you're one of the people out there giving a voice to maybe somebody will hear this and be like, hey, plexiglass, that would be a great idea if there was some sort of visual barrier to make it known that it's there. Hear our voice, people who are putting up the plexiglass. Put some high contrast tape on there or something for us, will you? <laughs> that or my boxing skills are just going to get way better. Ooh, there you go. Silver linings, my friend. I like the way you think. I hate to keep talking about COVID, but I mean, it's it's hard to get away from. Do you remember pre-COVID going out and trying a new restaurant or grabbing a few drinks at the tap room? Remember when those were like pretty easy and normal things to do? I, I am missing that so much right now, Jenny. It's um, Here in Ontario, we're in a different state than you guys. You were very lucky in the Atlantic. Um, to kind of have a little bit more freedom. But yeah, I am missing those days and cannot wait for the opportunity to go out and eat something in a restaurant and drink something. Well, let's stay strong. Let's stay strong and safe and 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 we will get there. Now, before COVID, things are still challenging from time to time. Some restaurants, tap rooms, cafes, they're getting with some what I would call like basic menu accessibility, like having uh, a menu online on a website that is accessible. I never see large print menus, uh, but I do see some Braille menus. I don't read Braille, but I've seen them out there. Uh, another newsflash to business owners, wall-mounted chalkboard menus, they may be cute and trendy and all that, but they're not accessible. Uh, so when a menu isn't accessible, I will often take a photo of it with my phone and then zoom in to read it that way. Do you do that? I do that too. I have so many um, on my camera roll on my phone. It's funny because I think I have every menu that's ever been mounted still. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things and maybe maybe least favorite things now because you're going through because you're you're going through your camera roll and you're like, oh, that was so good. And like now I'm hungry or now that place is out of business and I might never <laughs> I might never yeah. again. Or, or I hope they brew that thing again, because that would be wonderful. Oh, yeah, that's right. When they have the seasonal or the, the special release stuff. So the, taking a picture of a menu seems like such a simple thing, right? A nice, simple, easy solution. But I feel like a lot of people don't get what I'm doing when I do this out in public. The staff will constantly interrupt me and ask me for my order. And I'll be like, oh, I'm just taking a photo of the menu so I can read it. And if there's a lineup, the customers behind me, like they don't want to go ahead of me. They refuse. Very, very Canadian thing, I guess. But then they end up getting <laughs> huffy because I'm I'm taking my time to get a photo that's like somewhat in focus. And I just need a few moments to read the damn menu. And again, I feel sometimes um, and and even notice the stairs, um, and and I know 
again, I, th- I feel like I know what they're thinking. People rarely actually say anything, but you get the looks. And, you know, if I'm looking at a photo of an overhead menu, or I'm trying to take a photo of an overhead menu, rather, and you know, there's like staff at the counter, and I'm trying to take the photo of the menu that's up behind them. I just know that they're thinking, wow, this lady is creepy and or she has no <laughs> respect for privacy. And if I take a photo of like a hard copy menu, if I'm sitting at a table and I take a photo of a hard copy menu and then I'm sitting there looking at it on my phone, the server comes over and I, again, I know what they're thinking. They're like, wow, this one's really wasting my time here. Why is she looking at her phone and not at the menu in front of her? And then I, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, maybe they just think I'm some kind of important food critic and I need this photo, but probably not. <laughs> I would go with the later. That's a, have they, anybody ever called you out on it? Um, that nobody says anything, but they look at me, right? They're like, can I take your order now? Like, are you ready person who's addicted to your phone? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I'll ask someone that I'm with to to read the menu for me to either like avoid those awkward moments but usually it's when my phone battery is low I'll be like hey can you tell me what's on the appetizer menu um and sometimes I'll just make a point um to have the conversation about accessibility sometimes I will ask the staff deliberately even if there's people with me I won't bother them I'll be like hello, staff person, could you read me every single thing on your tap list, please? Because it's up on a wall and it's not anywhere else that's accessible. So let's have this conversation. In my experience, I find that um, I, I will ask and sometimes people will literally turn around and gesture to the, the board. I'm like, nope, that's actually not what I need because I can't see that. Exactly. And then we get to have that conversation, but it depends on the day. Do I have the energy to have this conversation or Mm -hmm. do I just say fuck it and go to a business that has an accessible menu that maybe I can look at it online before I go? I understand like with tap rooms and stuff, it's always changing, but you have options. And uh, I just, I want to spend my money at your establishment. And if you get your act together, I'm more likely to to come there. Um, But yeah, it depends on the day. So does your low vision when, when you're out with friends, do you ask, do you ever ask them to read menus for you or does it come up when you're with your sighted friends? It will come up um, because I sometimes, you know, in the past, like, well, you know, there is the boards and then sometimes uh, maybe I didn't remember my visual aid or Mm -hmm. uh, my phone battery is dying or I just don't feel like doing that. So I will ask, but usually I try to do it myself because there's something about being able to have that moment to think and not try to retain everything as it's coming at you like the 30 beers that somebody's reading at you that you can't remember what the the first one was yeah what what was that brown again tell me about that one again yeah can you can you go back to uh number 15 out of the 37 you just read please and thank you so i i I, you know it is exhausting right to constantly have to be like okay this is not working for me so you know i'm either going to inconvenience you by have you read all 37 of those beers or um, you know, the other option is that there is a whole internet that we've learned to update daily. Hell, I know people that do it um, hourly with Instagram and Facebook. So I know what everyone is doing every minute of their day and restaurants for some reason can't update their menus. So you make a really good point there. It's actually kind of funny when you approached me about about this topic. I literally couldn't even think of anything. I had to actually reach out to friends and to my partner just to be like, 
I, for some reason, I'm drawing a blank because I think these things happen so frequently that um, I've either ingrained them because they're so hilarious to me or I've just kind of moved on and forgot them. So um, one of the stories that when I did mention this to a friend, she brought up was every time we go on road trips, um, they will play a game that is definitely not a visually friendly game for me, um, but it's called I Kill Your Cow, which is... <laughs> <laughs> which has the best name, um, but it is a kind of observational, again, very good for blind people, um, where whereas you are driving, you might pay attention to see if you see um, cows, graveyards, um, uh, bales of hay, and the whole concept is you're stealing people's cows or you're uh, killing their cows if you, if you name that uh, observation first. Okay. So I I am uh, notorious for this game. Everything is a cow to me. Why, why do you even play? Part <laughs> of wants to just be like, I'm right. I found the cow. But uh, you know, the other part of me is like, this is probably not going to work out well. But uh, yeah, everything in in becomes cows, especially golfers, like a full <laughs> field of just golfers. And at that point, I'm like, I got the mother load of freaking cows here. <laughs> Um, instead, it ended up just being a whole bunch of, of like, you know, probably middle-aged men uh, spending their Sunday afternoon. But yeah, so I kill your cow. Not my not my favorite game, but road trip games are are not for us, Chantel. <laughs> no, no. But I'm still a good sport. <laughs> That's exactly what I was gonna say. I think you're such a good sport for even. Uh, I don't know. I feel like you're humoring your friends and and <laughs> I mean giving them a laugh. I would I I would I get so frustrated in those situations. Where, like I'm not playing your damn game. I I'm not going to pick out the Winnebago with the funny slogan on it. I I just I think you're such a good sport for for playing along. What percentage of things you say cow are cows are actually cows? <laughs> Probably not. Probably, uh, you know, maybe a fifteen percent of what I see is cows. Do they give you a pass? Are they like, yeah, you can have that one? I think the game isn't that serious, but definitely is like, um, just so you know, that's not a cow. That is a hail of bay, or that's a golfer, or that is. Oh God, I have so many stories where I mistook one thing for another, and I think that's an entire episode on its own. So we may need to circle back to this together at another time. Before we go, I have one last one, um, and it's not my story. It's actually a friend of mine. Now, you and I, we've lived with low vision our entire lives, right? We keep saying like it's kind of our normal, and like you said, it happens. These low vision moments happen so often. I've had to start writing them down because it's just, it's so common. You're never going to remember them all. But a friend of mine, Kelly, she became blind as an adult and she's a dear friend of mine. And when you lose your vision as an adult, like you've had your whole life uh, as a sighted person, that takes a lot of adjusting and rehabilitation. And of course, it's different for everyone. It takes some time. So Kelly and I, we used to play on a goalball team together. Goldball is a, a blind team sport. And like many sports, when you're finished a match at the end of the game, the opposing teams, you shake hands together, right? You know, good game, good game, yeah. yeah, good game. Whether you mean it or not, um, you go and shake hands. <laughs> 
And this usually, even though we're all blind, okay, it goes off without a hitch. But poor Kelly, she, she, this is something she struggles with. After many years of being blind, countless goalball matches, Kelly is forever missing the handshakes. And instead, she shakes the opposing team's boobs. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just so funny. Countless times. And we're always like, Kelly, what's wrong with you? That's not where people's hands are. But it's it's just a good thing that we can all kind of empathize and because we understand and we can have a laugh at it. And it, take it for what it presumably is, Kelly. Presumably it's a mistake. <laughs> you got to be careful around her during uh, COVID now with the elbow bump. <laughs> not going to bump your boobs that's right <laughs> she's got no idea where people's hands are she says herself i'm a terror i'm really bad at being a blind person but she's a lovely person she just has a boob shaking problem so this has been so much fun i can't thank you enough for for coming on and i it's so nice to get to know you i think i see many more conversations in our future and when it's safe you have got to come visit me uh, I'm not coming to Ontario. I've been there too many times. So you have to come here. Don't worry. We absolutely would love to be out there. And we definitely need to share a couple of beers. A couple. Yeah, I have way more than a couple <laughs> places to take you to around here. Uh, but before we go, where can we follow up with you and find your fabulous music, Chantal? So I do have my own musical projects. That, um, so I do have an album that is available on most uh, music streaming sites. So Spotify, through Apple, through Tidal, which I've never even used, uh, Google Play. Uh, most streaming sites have uh, that available. It's called Begins With an End, and it's under my name, Chantal Barrett. I also have a musical project here that I think is fabulous. I'm not the um, creator of the, the writer of the music, but I'm part of a choral, uh, all-female choral project that is called Minuscule. Um, and that is also available. There's an album up called Great um, and Everything Music by uh, Laurel Mins, which I think I just pronounced her name wrong. So, <laughs> but that is up and, and it's streaming also on Spotify. Blindness, low vision, and also albinism are a gigantic spectrum. And while we can be misunderstood as aloof or even intoxicated, Few things feel better than finding someone who just gets it. And what a bonus if that someone you're connecting with also shares some of your interests. If you're interested in joining me as a guest here on Low Vision Moments or having your story read on the podcast, or if you just want to say, hey, please get in touch, send an email to podcasts at ami.ca or leave a voicemail at 1-866-509-4545. That number again is 1-866-509-4545. Make sure to mention Low Vision Moments in the message, please and thank you. I am also on Instagram and Twitter. Connect with me there under uberblonde4. That's U-B-E-R-B-L-O-N-D-E and the number 4. This podcast would not be possible without the technical production expertise of Sam Robinson. Thanks also to manager at AMI-audio, the one and only Andy Frank. Until next time, cheers! 
Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.